0: Hello and welcome to the Clockwork Game Design Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Bergun. Uh, I'm pretty pumped because I just had this conversation with uh, Dan C., uh, Dan Cook, who you may know from the Lost Garden, which is one of the um, best uh, blogs from the blog era of game design writing, but also from the team Spry Fox, which created Triple Town. Now they're doing—they uh, did Steambirds. They're doing Steambirds Alliance now, which is like a big MMO. Uh, Alpha Bear and Alpha Bear Two, a bunch of other games. Um, they're really an interesting and cool company. I really like their aesthetics, and they're just—they're always doing weird, interesting stuff that like kind of like looks not interesting interesting when you first look at it in some way, like at least, you know, but I I think a lot of that is actually that I'm, you know, I'm coming at things from a particular tradition, I guess, of games, uh, which is like this, you know, hardcore gamer tradition. It is male coded and their games are pretty, um, I would say everyone coded, very inclusive looking. And I think that, you know, growing up, I probably, uh, learned to a little bit, um, Think like oh this looks like nice and um, non-violent and therefore it's probably not for me, and I think that's you know that's harmful. We talk about that kind of stuff in the um in the in the sh- in the show itself. Uh, a lot of this conversation I wanted to have it with Dan because you know I've sort of been struggling and you hear me struggling throughout the conversation with like how to do how to achieve this particular aesthetic of you know mechanical aesthetic of strategy game design and also be recontextualizing that and like thinking about how that affects people in the world. And, you know, Dan is very interested. He talks a lot about how he's in this podcast about how he's interested in what he's interested in doing and and what he wants his games to do. And I think, um, it's really great what he wants his games to do. And I, and anyway, I'm, I'm pumped about this, uh, podcast episode, as you can tell. Um, but, uh, please let me know what you think of it. Um, also, I have a little bit of news. Um, but you know what? I'm going to leave the news until the very end of the podcast. So, yeah, if you just want to hear for the interview, check it out. Enjoy it. Uh, at the very end, I'll have a little tag where I give you my spiel about what I've been up to. Um. So, how are you doing?
1: Doing well. It's... uh. A uh, vaguely sunny, but mostly cloudy day here in Seattle.
0: Rain I think there's a lot, of, a lot of cloudy days in Seattle from what I've seen on the show, Frasier.
1: It's summertime. And one of the secrets about uh, Seattle in the summertime is that it's gorgeous. For about four to five months, there's pretty much no rain, no clouds in the sky, 70 to 80 degree weather. It's just absolutely lovely.
0: Nice. Wow. That is a well-kept secret. That's not the uh, what everyone says about Seattle. I, I have been meaning to go to Seattle for a long time. I've just never had the occasion to do so. Are there any like game design things happening in Seattle, like uh, conferences or anything like that?
1: Uh, the big one that happens these days is uh, PAX. So there's PAX Prime here. Or I guess oh, it's right. called PAX West. Hmm. Uh, and, and, then, and then they have a uh, PAX Dev, which is a developer conference. Gotcha. We used to have Casual Connect up this way, but that's gone. Um, as, as, as soon as the sort of, uh, the PC da- downloadable casual games went away, a lot of the conferences left Seattle because uh. pop cap was big here. Um, there was, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of the casual world was here at one point.
0: Interesting. So, yeah, I, I have a bunch of things that I want to talk to you about today. Um, first I want to kind of just like get, can I have like an update on like what you've been working on and like what you've been doing i know you mentioned that there's like a new steambirds release and steambirds like is a game that's you've been you've had a long a really like how long when was it the first time that you started working on a Steam Birds game like what year was it
1: my goodness so so um steambirds the current version that we're working on is an mmo so right. it's sort of a spiritual successful successor to our previous mmo realm of the mad god so, uh, and we've been working on that game, the Steambirds Alliance for, uh, about five and a half years. Mm. So that's, that's been in constant development the whole time. Before that we released two other turn-based strategy games also called Steambirds. Um, uh, it's an airplane focused sort of diesel punk, um, uh, world. Those came out in flash and that must've been like, or so I don't know I'd have to actually look up the, the actual date yeah, those came yeah. out on 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 the web and on mobile and so yeah it actually goes back quite a ways
0: yeah no I remember playing the older Steambirds games and I, I really thought they were really cool and so now so uh so the MMO how I'm not that familiar with the MMO but like give me the like the basic rundown on like what you're trying to do I guess with um with this Steambirds MMO and like how related is it to those old turn based games?
1: It's not all that related to the old turn-based games. Uh, you still are fighting airplanes. Um, we've changed up the world a little bit. Um, we've, we, we tend to do things with animals, so this is I mean it's it's birds and planes versus an evil cat empire. Uh-huh. It's a little car- little cartoony going on there. Uh, mechanically, it is a mixing of roguelike ideas with MMO ideas. So it's it's a it's a bullet hell shooter, uh, dual stick controls, um, and it's permadeath. So, you know, you think things like Binding of Isaac and that that style of game um, in a big, big open world with quests and big boss enemies and, you know, about 60 people flying around with you. Um, it's also co- cooperative. It's not PvP at all. So everyone is working together. So all the power-ups, all the abilities, uh, all the damage that you do actually helps everyone else around you. So it's really a game about, like... Um, as leveling up friendships is is sort of the design idea i was playing with Mm -hmm. can we make a cooperative space where people can just pop in really really easy and familiar to play they just drop in i'm having fun oh wait there's other players and the other players instead of being toxic are actually always going to be a positive they're always a um non-zero-sum addition to the to the the um, and then over time you play with them, you hang out you, there's sh- XP sharing. So if like, you kill something, we both get XP, um, loot is really is shared as well. So there's no loot stealing or anything. A lot of the toxic, uh, e- economic interactions are removed from it. Um, and then we, we make, we become friends and we start trading with each other and eventually, you know, we're playing together on there all the time. Um, and we've got our group, you know, our guild, hmm. um, playing together.
0: It's interesting because like, it, it occurs to me that, I, first of all, I love, I, I'm primarily interested in single player games, um, but I'm also increasingly interested in cooperative games. But something that occurs to me uh, as you're talking about this is I think about, you know, in a game like in team games, often the most toxicity is within the team. Um, at the other team members uh, for, you know, failing to perform as they would, they want them to. And so I wonder, is that something that you experience at all in Steambirds? Like, because it's cooperative and there's like objectives and those objectives, I assume, you mentioned that there's permadeath, there's actual really big um, Mm -hmm. consequences for like failure. Um, I'd also be interested in talking to you about like, you know, what that failure, because something that I'm trying to wrap my own head around recently is like, you know, the relationship between, um, strategy games and, uh, and, and failure states, you know, win state, loss state, that kind of stuff, and how that relates to, um, you know, to player behavior and, and sort of toxicity and stuff. But it, you know, just, uh, empirically speaking, do you see, um, in testing and, and the player base, like has, has, have you seen that kind of like inter-team toxicity, and if not, what do you account? How do you account for that?
1: That's something we very, very explicitly design for. So um, you sort of have um, a spectrum of different types of activities. Uh, Raf Coster calls this the trust spectrum. Um, and there are high trust activities that need a lot of coordination. Um, so everyone needs to be knowing what to do, when to do it, what their roles are, and if if anyone is slightly slightly off because they haven't practiced or they or they misinterpret what the other per- team member is saying, or they do something, uh, you know, they 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 don't tr- they don't trust the other person to do what they need to do. Um, th- those are super high trust activities. And those are the type of things where you see toxicity within a team. Hmm. You basically need, it, it takes hundreds of hours of practice to get to the point where you're performing these high trust cooperative activities on a team. Right. Uh, you see this in something like League of Legends. You see this in something like, um, something like uh, soccer or football, a lot of traditional sports that we borrow from. We don't realize it, but they are all these extraordinarily high trust activities. Mm-hmm. Spectrum. Is what is what's known as sort of parallel play. Um, We're both kind of doing our own thing. I'm shooting the enemy, you're shooting the enemy. It doesn't require me to trust you very much for me to shoot the enemy. Like I'm going to shoot the enemy no matter what, you're gonna shoot the enemy. Well, maybe you don't, doesn't really matter, right? You can can come or go. Um, And so part of this idea of sort of leveling up friendships is you want to only give people the types of activity that match that group's trust level.
0: Okay. Oh, so, so if I see. I see.
1: Yeah. I so see. if you as a designer are giving people incredibly high trust, um, uh, activities to a group of strangers, you're going to get to toxicity. Right, it's inevitable. Right. You just did. And that's not the player's fault. That's the designer's fault. You did something that sort of breaks the social physics of how people interact with each other. Right. Um and so so these things are these things are are 100% manageable by the design. You just have to be conscious of the physics that are going on here.
0: So so an example of that would be that like uh let's say I created a new account. I don't have any real relationships yet. Um I'm like I'm meeting sort of new people. I'm starting to play and uh and so the the first few missions I assume I would play would be very kind of like low stakes or just very easy. I mean cuz the one thing that I I sort of made a little bit of a face that was you were like oh they can shoot the enemy or not and it doesn't really matter and it's like how do you bridge the gap between um making it that you know player agency doesn't matter and uh, and that that trust uh that trust component which that makes perfect sense to me that like so on the high end of the trust scale it makes perfect sense to me that like okay now we have a team that all trusts each other now they can start playing in these high trust situations which you know everybody's agency really matters is the answer then so that when people first start playing like kind of their agency sort of doesn't matter like and what are not the ramifications not, of that?
1: not at all not at all it's okay. it's more um individual goals versus communal goals you can still have individual risk and individual goals I see. um without with the uh, communal goals like the fact like so let's say you pop into steambirds and you start killing some enemies mm-hmm. well you still are at risk of dying um from those enemy bullets right the, but you're only risking uh, yourself self right so there's not going to be intergroup toxicity because like you're just risking yourself at that point gotcha um, you sort of like as you go up sort of that that trust spectrum you de- can tend to get group goals and the impact on the group tends to become larger if those if the if failure occurs
0: hmm.
1: um, because it's usually in terms of opportunity cost if any if not uh not actual penal- p- penalties Um, and, but for the individuals, like you, you can balance a game towards sort of individual penalties or individual mastery, um, early on.
0: Gotcha. That, that, that makes perfect sense. And that does, I like that, that you're framing it as like, you know, these, this is not, We're not blaming the audience for the toxicity. These are—I completely agree with that—and and and I think there's other components of it too. Um, So you're talking about the mechanical components, the rules components, which um, lead people towards toxicity. I wonder if um, you think. Uh, And I expect that you probably do, but I I wonder if you think that, you know, you've mentioned that you've been like changing things to animals. And I think um, the thematic representations and narrative um, elements that we present to people in games, uh, I think also um, kind of like leads them into um, more or less toxic behaviors. In the case of League of Legends, I often talk about how, like, you know, the whole game just has this uh, like sort of serial killer aesthetic to it. It just feels like very oppressive and very, um, exclusionary and dominance based. And, and of course the mechanics are as well, but, but I wonder like how much you could do just by completely reskinning league of legends. Um, so,
1: so, so the, so the, sort of psychological model there is, uh, is framing. Um, and so, so everyone has sort of, um, schema sort of patterns of behavior about how they interact with their world. Um, and we we have a lot of them built in. And if you tell someone you are role-playing a serial killer, they're going to have certain expectations of what that is like, and they're going to, um, do that. So, for example, there was an MMO, uh, a Conan MMO. I think it was one of those survival-based games, and they they there was one group of people that uh, just because of the lore of Conan, they were evil people who killed everybody. That's mm-hmm. what they did. Sure. So when they assigned those players that sort of framing for their characters, what do you think they went out and did? They became the the predominant griefers in the community, right? Um, and because that's that was just their expectation, right? They said, like you you label something, people say, what what do I think that would work like? And then they do that, then they behave that way.
0: Hmm.
1: They like um, label things to activate more cooperative schema. Um, For example, we have a a game called Alpha Bear, which is about spelling words with cute bears. And um, let me tell you, the schema that that activates, that framing, makes for one of the most pleasant player bases that I've ever encountered. Super, super nice people.
0: Oh, wow. I'm really happy to hear that that sort of stuff, like, works. Um, I guess a way to to express this is, like, sort of an emotional or affective um, affordance, almost, right? Like, uh you're uh, yeah yeah like what are the emotional palettes that uh, that are going to be like in play here and i'm really glad to hear that um that with something like alpha bear because you know i to some extent i sometimes worry that uh you know like you you get a game gets like sort of big enough uh and it just becomes this like cesspool but i think that maybe that that m- meme is itself like a kind of a way Uh, to excuse some stuff that we really shouldn't be excusing and that actually it's it's uh particulars of the designs of these you know games and also you know this applies to like social media platforms and all sorts of things that actually enable this sort of uh behavior
1: i mean and this goes to back to some of the community management management basics what are the sort of what are the the rules what are the social norms i use social norms all the time as a phrase uh what are the social norms of the community Um, And it turns out if you look across civilizations throughout history, um, there's a large range of social norms that are totally acceptable to the human animal. And um, as designers, part of one of our things is we're setting up the rules so that what is the, you know, economically dominant strategy playing the game to win, so to speak, in in sort of Serlin's terminology. Um, But then we also set up sort of like what are the social norms of the community and we enforce those as well Mm. Um, because uh, the rules are not enough to determine what human behavior is is like there's also we're watching other people we're hearing what they say we're emulating certain reference groups within the community um so we basically need to like to create positive social norms for the community in addition to positive uh uh mechanics
0: gotcha yeah that, that makes sense um i i so i um i'm i'm kind of like I, I realized over the years that I'm not I've never actually been into competitive games specifically. Um it's I've always been interested in strategy games, games that present certain kinds of creative play within a, you know, gore, goal-oriented environment. Um and 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 it just turns out that like a lot of those happen to be competitive. Uh but uh, as I said, I'm I'm really interested in um more, you know, single player games, cooperative games, which I still kind of consider a type of competition. It also sounds like even your own Steambirds, um, from what, I, I mean, it sounds like the kinds of engagements and the kinds of interactivity that you would find in Steambirds it probably isn't that different than the kinds of like strategic thinking questions and those sorts of things that you would have in a League of Legends. Um, is that, is that right in your mind?
1: Um, it's a little lighter than League of Legends, uh, League of Legends has a lot of, uh, I, I would say League of Legends is tactically more complicated than Steambirds is by, by a long shot. Okay. Um, but, um, still within that, like a lot of, uh, bu- bullet hells in general are more about, um, pattern recognition, um, and more opportunistic play. So I see an opportunity to heal someone, uh, that sort of thing. So it's definitely a lighter, a lighter space.
0: Sure. But 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 uh, the we- same principle could apply yeah. to a more complex game and it would still be like you know what i mean like you could have like a a steam birds like uh type game that was that was uh like this big heavy hard-to-learn thing uh that fundamentally you could
1: you could yeah yeah. and and if you if you look at like some of the 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 raid the raid encounters and some mmos they tend to they tend towards this sort of thing i mean one of the things you have to be careful about is again this starts to get into the high trust activities especially if you've got multiplayer so um those are those those there's uh there's, there's a logistical element to all this um so for some of the high trust activities you need people to be playing for 200 300 hours together so small percentage of people who are going to be doing that so you can't necessarily make the game only about that you also have to have um, a game that is uh, manageable by people who have been playing you know 10 to 50 hours
0: Right. That's interesting. And, you know, it's it's funny, actually, this actually sort of applies to like one on one games, too. If you think about, um, Mm -hmm. you know, chess or uh, like a racing game or or just about anything, um, you need to kind of have a, you know, pre Internet or, or even just, you know, playing in real life like you have to have opponents of kind of similar skill uh and and in a way that similar skill like oftentimes uh is manifested by like you know a kind of um like a relationship like usually like you will have a group uh often you'll have a group or like a person that you play with um and if you don't have that it's it's interesting like how you know you're saying like um you always have to tie it sort of back to the logistical and logistically speaking i remember growing up trying to get people to play racing games and there was always this logistical problem of like i would get a racing game and i'd play it on my own and i'd get all good at it and then i'd be like hey you want to play this racing game with me and uh someone who had not played the racing game would try to play and and it would just be like we wouldn't even we wouldn't even be like anywhere near each other um and similar like what i'm saying is that you know it's kind of like all games require this kind of logistical uh, um setup. Uh you can't just like throw people into uh into a or, like a arena together like strangers uh without knowing something about their background and their and their and their history and their skill level and their you know um all that kind of stuff. Is that Can you make any sense sense out of that? Yeah, no, no, that 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 completely makes sense Um,
1: because, uh, like, I always think of it as like uh, you 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 have a cohort and the cohort goes through the game and as they go through the game, they sort of they learn Um, and they they're by by the time at each point in their sort of journey, they're playing a totally different game than they were earlier on. Often they're building on the old old skills, but often they're they're playing it in a very different way and the strategies they see and and the value that they get out of the game can be quite quite different. Um, and when you mix multiple of these cohorts together, you basically have multiple populations, each of which who's playing a, a different game. Hmm. And how, how, do you, how do you get those, those groups to interact in a positive fashion? Um, so, so we think we talk of it in, uh, in Steambirds, we talk of, uh, two things. We talk of the power gap, which, you know, everyone is probably familiar, familiar with, which is, you know, a level one player playing with a level 20 player. Is that possible? If the power gap is too large, that's not interesting to either one of them. Mm. Um, but there's also the skill gap, which is, you know, with your racing games where, you know, a new player is just not very interesting to play with compared to a master player. So a lot of the mechanics that we put together for uh, something like Steambirds, uh, and when we're thinking of these, like uh, inc- I think of them as inclusive um, cooperative spaces, we're we're trying to minimize the the friction that comes from that skill but skill gap and that power gap.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny when you mentioned the inclusiveness, I almost kind of wonder if uh, the exclusive nature of uh, some of these games, the way that they are sort of um, almost like fundamentally gate kept by the Mm -hmm. very nature of this like super high skill, like you're going to be thrown into this high trust environment. uh, And, you know, if you got what it takes, then you can stay. Or if you can just take the abuse that comes from uh, not having what it takes, then you can stay. And if you can't, well see you. Um, and that's how most online competitive games just function. And I I kind of wonder if like on some level, it's, uh, you know, not an entire, entirely like a mistake that, um, or just an oversight that uh, this, this has not been fixed. I mean, on some level, I, I sort of wonder if like, you know, there, there's a little bit, um, and I, I think actually we see um, some evidence that people are like, Uh, You know, there's this like, get good, uh, you know, philosophy and mentality. um, Actually, I think a lot of people have pride in the fact that they are a part of this community, which, uh, which, you know, will be toxic to you if you don't uh, meet the criteria. Um, Does that sound does that sound right to you?
1: Yeah, there's a there's a whole um, there's a paper we worked on at uh, Project Horseshoe that talks about some of these social physics, and um, there's a whole uh, that uh, is basically is about uh, social groups and how social groups interact. Um, And, uh, and that's built upon this other layer called, uh, Dunbar's layers is, is what it's called in, uh, uh, social psychology, which is like the limits of our ability to build friendships. Um, and it turns out that humans are wildly limited in the number of people that we can have meaningful relationships with. When we build social groups, we want to sort of like create groups that have strong boundaries such that we can have meaningful relationships within that group. Mm. And the strong boundaries actually threaten our friendships and relationships. And so we tend to react very negatively. Um, And there's there's a whole bunch of interesting stuff about like, you know, enforced norms within one of these social groups, how you get people to sort of like um, follow the norms. And if they don't, how to, how to get them out, how to ostracize them, kick them out of the group um and and these are these are these are monkey behaviors um there's nothing like special specific to games or specific to like you know competitive esports about this mm-hmm. these are like basic monkey behaviors um that um sort of um in the wild in the like in a non-designed environment, you get these sort of naturally occurring, sort of often very negative toxic uh, groups
0: forming. Right.
1: Uh, So our job as a designer is to understand these rules, to understand the limits of of friendship, to understand what it means to successfully onboard somebody, what it means to like kick someone out of a group in a nice way and build systems that that manage that. So we don't sort of get, uh what what's the what's the one with piggy and the the conch where they're on the island and all the boys beat each other up
0: oh yeah yeah yeah. um uh fly lord of the flies Lord of the flies yeah Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: and so so what do you see in in a lot of like esports and mmos is we we give we give the apes usually young unsocialized men to be quite blunt about it Mm -hmm. um these very raw tools and say create society And we get uh, Lord of the Flies over and over and over again.
0: And then there's this like pride about that Lord of the Flies situation, too, um, which um, I think is another component of it that also needs to be addressed. Because, you know, some of the um, you know, there would like everything you're saying here to me makes perfect sense. But there would be a lot of resistance to a lot of what you're saying because of this sort of, you know, uh, belief that it's like this intrusion into the pure meritocracy of uh, who is the best League of Legends player.
1: Sure. Sure. I mean, the the thing is, as soon as these social groups form, you end up getting um, uh, identity formation and people's individual identity becomes uh, heavily associated with the group identity. Mm. Um, And people are extraordinarily defensive of their of their. uh, Because the identities actually give them access to these friendships, to these like uh, wonderful, like social things that they absolutely need to survive. Right so anything that threatens that they tend to react to very very violently
0: yeah yeah um that's interesting um yeah i'm i'm really interested in in finding so i i still live in the world of um kind of of uh you know single player games uh, but but with win and loss states, which is kind of weird, um, but I also make like, you know, board games and and strat- strategy themed board games. Um, I'm working on like a card game right now that's like a just sort of like a magic like sort of thing. Um, and, you know, I've made like traitor style games and, you know, cooperative things. And I don't know, I'm, I'm very interested in in trying to find ways to implement the stuff that you talk about um, and into into the kinds of games that i make and i don't know um do you see any like i guess i guess if you were to if you were to make a i don't know four player board game you know like a tabletop uh board game i guess you know um you've played like uh, games like pandemic and 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 things of that nature right like just the the, the classic cooperative board games
1: So it's interesting, like, um, as soon as you say board game, you basically have thrown out, like, 95% of the population Mm. uh, in terms of this, this, this trust spectrum, not in terms of players, but in terms of like strangers, you've tossed out all the strangers, for the most part, you're playing board games with friends or people who have vouched for friends, it's usually like one or two degrees of connection. Okay. Um, and the types of things, so you're, you're instantly in this sort of high trust, like high coordination, uh, um, now you, you've, you've like, so the types of games you're making in that space are just going to be completely different than the types of games you would make, for example, in an, in a free to play MMO where there's thousands of strangers playing, right. Um, because they're, 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 um, they're almost in completely different universes at that point of, right. of game design.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking about like um, like, a, you know, a Euro board game or whatever in the wild uh, at like a board game shop, you know, those places where they have like little tables and people can play. And there is already like a this is like such like a subculture of a subculture that there already is um kind of trust between anyone who sits down at that table. I've never met this person before, but they're at this store. And so there's already this level of um trust uh, in in these kinds of games. Is that kind of what you're saying?
1: and yeah i mean that that that's and and that's sort of the extreme example of like that that's probably uh the most stranger like interaction you'll get right, at, right for for board games most board games are played you know with families and like close friends right so, yeah. um and and it is it is fascinating like if you look at um a euro game even euro games um uh, are not very high trust right they um shows you like um how <laughs> how high trust activities are really, really hard to do. Uh, Euro games, I think, are are successful in in part because they're mostly parallel play. Mm -hmm.
0: It's multiplayer solitaire. That's what everyone calls them.
1: Yeah. It's multiplayer solitaire. Exactly. You're kind of doing your own thing and you can therefore play it with a wider number of people and therefore you can actually like you know, because they're like, oh, I don't have anyone who plays board games with me, but this one, they'll play this one with me because it's actually a relatively low, low trust activity.
0: Hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, yeah, I've also been thinking a lot about how, um, you know, I, I, you've mentioned before that you're, you've sort of direct, why do you, I guess here's a direct question. Why do you not, why are you not interested in, um, direct competition between, is there, is there a specific reason or is it just something you're not very interested in? Or do you think it's like, actually like a, a uh, intrinsically sort of harmful and maybe dangerous kind of thing to expose players
1: to Uh, so again it it goes back to like what your level of friendship is with with folks um Mm -hmm. so um uh competition with good friends is actually a lot of fun it uh it uh lets it lets you push boundaries it lets you test each other's capabilities it's a playful space when you're Mm -hmm. with friends with strangers competition tends to be not a very playful space um it tend people tend to take competition with strangers very very um you know you can you can have things like sportsmanship which Create a set of social norms around like, hey, here's the right way to behave such that we don't slit each other's throat after a game, sure. um, which is very valuable. Very valuable to have, you know, the, the don't slit each other's throat after a game social norm, a.k.a. Right. sportsmanship. Yeah. Um, super, super useful. Um, but um, in general, competition with strangers is a very, very different thing than competition with friends. So, um, um, yeah, go so, on. Personally, the reason I focus on um, cooperation is um, there's a lot of research out there that says humans are social animals and if you take humans you take a person and you remove them from friendships you remove them from meaningful meaningful relationships with other people their health declines their mental state declines um they start having like heart problems they start having like just depression all sorts of horrible horrible things happen to them so modern society a lot of the traditional ways that we've made friendships and kept friendships especially rich deep friendships have kind of gone away
0: Mm -hmm.
1: um and so as someone who's interested in adding good to the world what i really really want to do is i want to build relationships between players Uh, and i want to build meaningful relationships between players and to me strangers competing against strangers does not really do that i see Um, it, it, it happens in small niche communities. So if you have, for example, um, uh, you know, the fighting game community where they meet up in person and they're fighting, they're basically playing next to each other and they're talking and they're laughing and there's plenty of downtime to actually socialize afterwards. And they do this again and again and again, year after year, like those friendships are amazingly strong friendships. Right. Um, Uh, that, that for me, that's not a very scalable thing. Like I can't replicate that very easily
0: Mm.
1: in software, um, the cooperative systems, uh, that slowly create, uh, more and more trust and more and more friendship. Um, I can deploy those as a free to play game and actually like hit a whole bunch of people in a way that I couldn't, if I did some of these other, other markets.
0: Right. So it's kind of an intersection of that idea and just the practicality of, like, you know, doing business as a, you know, uh, like an indie game developer uh, studio who, you know, um, trying to reach a wide audience, uh, which is something you've you've, I think, been, you know, interested in. Um, But I guess my my technical or my like theoretical question is like, you know. Um, Because, yeah, I guess you mentioned fighting games have that kind of community. I think a lot of competitive games can have those communities, you know, board games, uh, you know, have those communities uh, in a in a in a small circle. And it's funny, like thinking back to my most fond memories of uh, of competitive games, it wasn't in the competition really but it was in the you know sharing stories about the competition um or about the games with my f- group of friends that i was playing this competitive game with um mm-hmm. you know and so and that's something that's just been uh, striking me a lot recently is how um even these most systemic you know go or something something that's so um you know seems so devoid of like the human uh narrative thematic elements. Um, really, um, as you're saying, like friendships, relationships, and also like sort of the stories, uh, the narratives uh, that are, are constructed within those um, friendships and, and relationships and communities that that really like kind of stick with me the most about my experiences playing these games
1: i think to understand some of the competitive games like why they actually appeal to people you have to go outside of the game mechanics and look at the community mm. um because that's where the really the social value is being created um and in some sense one of the things that we've seen uh for example you can take a single player game and you can have people play single player and you can have the the the, the most deep and interesting game in the world um and as soon as you add the ability for people to talk about it and compare their, either their performance or their score or their strategies or something, share information about it essentially. And like what the limits of it are and who can do what and who's capable of what, um, that's when it really starts to take off. Mm. See this actually, cause you know, we have all these wonderfully metrics driven games now, so you can take, you can take a single player, um, like, you know, match three game or, uh, or or card game, CCG game, CCG, and it's single player. And you're like, oh, that's so simple and basic. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it has a certain amount of money that people are willing to spend on it, and it has a certain retention, and it has a certain engagement. And as soon as you add very very simple mechanisms for people to talk to each other, form guilds, have group get goals, um, and start to discuss that that single player activity, like. Retention increases, monetization increases, engagement increases because you're delivering social value to people as opposed to simple mastery.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's super true. And uh, you know, I I think I've I've made the a pretty strong mistake uh, in in trying my best. I think uh, with Oro, the game I worked on for like five or six years, I you know, one of my design goals was to. Uh, not directly, I wouldn't have phrased it this way, would, but was to make it as difficult to talk about as possible uh, because I just wanted everything to be like, no, it's just you in this you know, tunnel and uh you have to just you know make uh make do uh and then you can't really nothing is reproducible there's no like there's no like builds or you know all the things that people talk about like tier lists i think is a big part of a lot Mm -hmm. of competitive Mm -hmm. games social stuff all that stuff i made it as impossible as as possible to do uh there's no social features there's no modes there's no nothing you just hit play and you go in and uh you do what you do and then you come out with some number and And yeah, so I think that that's that's really something uh, I'm thinking about a lot recently is how to, you know, implement uh, because there's a lot I love about that system. But how to how to um, I don't know, it's kind of like a question of like how to how to love games, you know, because like or why do we love games in the first place, Um, I I think.
1: I I to- totally agree. So th- what we're talking about is sort of the values that we build into our games, right? Um, like I, I'm focused very heavily on like I value this so- these social relationships and friendships and so on and so forth. And to a degree, um, this is w- the stage I am in my life. So um, uh, I'm I'm sure you've seen some of Nick Yee's work on uh, player motivations. I think so. Yeah, um, Remind me. I forget, I forget the name of the company that does it, but he he has all these different player motivations that he's tracked for people who actually play games. Um, and, Is that uh, the ones with the lo- different
0: titles, the different names of uh, people that are motivated by different things? Like... Uh, that was a really bad description, but you know, like, uh, there's like, I uh, mean, he, he, ta-
1: he, talks about like, you know, social motivations and mastery uh, motivations, challenge yeah. motivations, yeah, 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 yeah. uh, yeah. you know, uh, you know, aesthetic, aesthetic, creative motivations. There's a whole bunch of different ones. Um, and, uh, but he has also been able to track them as they change, uh, by age. Um, and this ties into a bunch of other social psychology stuff that's happening where people are tracking like hey how do people's personalities change as time goes on Mm -hmm. Um, and one of the sort of like really really key findings that's been like uh, hugely influential for me most people are actually quite social and cooperative and willing to work with each other. Um, most people really, really value the social side of things. Um, they're not that into the mastery side of things. They're, 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 they're quite a bit into collection. Collection's a huge one for some reason that comes up. Uh, the collecting of resources is pretty stable over time. Um, but um, there's one sort of outlier group that's very very specific and that is young men Mm -hmm. um young men probably age eh, 16 to maybe 27 28 somewhere around there Mm -hmm. um tend to be competitive and wildly over the top selfish um they tend to be extremely extremely individualistic they think they think about me all the time and they think what's my experience and then it's really really hard to think of anything else right right and so i think as designers and i was definitely this way when i was younger um, especially young male designers i think we tend to make games that sort of are focused on mastery they're focused on social dominance they're focused on competition they're focused on individual achievement and so that 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 is sort of a a, a stamp that th- that class of designers ends up putting on the industry. Um, but what's interesting about the population in general is people rapidly age out of that, um, and they start to be thinking more about like you know more communal. They start to be less individualistic. They tend to tend to be more like let's care and tend f- tend to other other people's needs. Um, and so, so there's a, there's a gap there that I think we should we, that's interesting to address as game designers.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think that that um, that that goes into the thing about you know making things that are inclusive and and less um, sort of gate kept. That's that's a I just wrote a big uh, paper on uh, you know um, some of the uh, sort of gatekeeping forces in games and how uh, I think there's a relationship between that and and what you're talking about here. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm totally, I'm totally interested in that. I guess, you know, it's interesting for me because, um, I'm, 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 I'm like, I guess I'm very invested in, again, not competitive games, but specifically strategy games. There's a particular aesthetic and I, and I, I don't, I, I want, like, I kind of like, I find myself being like, yes, I want to do what you're doing, Dan. I just, I want to do what you're doing. But I also like, there, there is an aesthetic of strategy that I wonder if, Uh, And I think, you know, I think, you know, board games do this and of course there's, you know, limitless possibilities. Anything is possible. Um, But, uh, you know, that's, that's where I find myself going is like, how, how can I kind of, like, maybe, maybe it's like, how can we like sort of salvage what's really um, interesting and, uh, and, 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 and beautiful about some of these like strategy competitive systems in and implement them, and I do think actually some a lot of that you you are already doing. I mean, Steambirds. Um, from what I do remember, I, I I did a little research on on the MMO, and I and you know it's a it's a shooter, but I think from what I know of your games, and I've you know followed your work uh, for a long time, and your games always seem like they are very simple when you first play them and then they but it's really just that like building trust process right where the the Mm. the, in the beginning they are very simple and then they they grow and they become later on they become as you know often as deep and as challenging and uh you know and really requiring mastery right of the same kind Mm. as any of these sort of things so so maybe you sort of already have an answer at least to this question
1: yeah so so one of the things i i I like about strategy games is this idea of um uh expressive play um and expressive play to me is is that you know like you've got a goal in mind often it's a long-term goal um and there's a whole bunch of resources and a whole bunch of units and elements and tokens and things that you can manipulate. Um, And you actually have a relatively rich range of ways to manipulate those things. And so there's lots of ways to sort of eventually get to that goal. There's no necessarily one right way of doing it. It's not a puzzle solving thing where there's like the author has set up this sort of system and, you know, you're going to have the one, yeah, one right solution for it. There's lots of ways to get to that. Um, And, one of the things that's that's interesting, sort of both socially and in terms of mastery about um, strategy games, is this sort of a aesthetic quality to your performance within them. Mm-hmm. Um, like there, the, people talk about like you know aggressive play or beautiful play or elegant play in something like chess, um, where you know there's you're you're almost playing this vast instrument of all these different pieces and you're still you still have to get to that goal in the end Um, so the goal is important as sort of an anchor a directional anchor of where you're going and you can fail to get to the goal right um but a lot of the joy both again like discussing the gameplay um that's the social side of things and sort of like your understanding of it um, comes in that that immense flexibility and how you get there versus the just getting there
0: Right. And I guess what I I would I would just highlight there is that for me, and I'm hoping that this is not my competitive background speaking, but actually like something um, valuable is the is that in order for that creativity, uh, when someone, you know, does like this weird novel thing that could only come from them, you know, like that's what Mm -hmm. I really love about strategy games is I would call it also expressive play creativity and But it's like, you know, in a goal list system, being creative is different. I'm not saying it's worse, but it's just it's very different. When there's a when there's a goal and you have like, you know, something like overall a 50% chance to win or lose. Um uh you know, like what I'm saying is your winning or losing is is highly ambiguous, right? Like, and like really if someone were to be watching you they would not know whether you were going to win or lose. I I think that that component to me is very important because that imbues the, um, the, the act of coming up with this weird way of playing that's only could come from you that that, you know, I mean, it's, it's what I'm saying is like, it's very easy to just like do some weird thing if it doesn't have to also meet these certain requirements of winning. <laughs> do you know what I mean? For like, sure. uh, I,
1: I think of it as um, and you actually see this in a lot of art forms. Um, I think of it as like, what are the constraints of the form? right and uh and the one of the constraints is you have to you know winning is really just reaching some goal right it's like it's like oh you know in the end you have to go and have one of the white pieces go and take the black king right that's that's sort of like it's it's really kind of a vaguely arbitrary constraint but you know we have one um a uh you know a um a haiku has to be a certain number of syllables and and have you know a nature theme to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can say, oh, that wasn't really a haiku because it broke these constraints. Uh, so that that's also a win loss goal right there. Um, so I think I think creativity within constraints is the sort of the 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 slightly bigger bucket that I would that would that I would put over this. So right. winning to me is just a way of it's just. Our localized sort of dialect for saying a very explicit strong constraint on the on the form. Right. Yeah, it's uh, one I, I, I would I I would broaden it out a little bit. And one of the reasons I do that exercise of like broadening it out so that we're not necessarily talking about just like win win or loss is because having a model for why win or loss matters. Oh, because if you have strong constraints, it goes and it gives value to the decisions that you make as you play. Use that sort of broader rule to build all sorts of things that are not necessarily games. Like I, I would not necessarily say the things that I make are traditional games in any sense of, the, sense of the word, right? They're these weird evergreen multiplayer spaces that people play for years and have um lots of individually self-selected goals versus you know one overall goal oh you don't really right um but the same the same the same thought process i use to make a a rich expressive game strategy game is the same thought process i use to make one of these mmos
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I I like the idea of creative creativity and constraints. I guess the the area that I have difficulty with, because you're right that like win and loss is this particular aesthetic. It's probably this weird accident of history. But at the same time, it's like um, it does feel like. Uh, I guess I guess maybe it's just that that's the easiest and the simplest way to create a meaningful uh, constraint, a meaningful um, condition uh, that that someone is trying to achieve. Um, But it also feels like like so for me, like designing something, um, you know, so in chess, for example, you have the capture the, the king. But it's like it's not as though you play a bunch of chess and then, oh, hey, you know what? Don't forget. Capture the king. You know, like th- th- it says at the end, you're supposed to ca- try to capture the king. It's like, no, the whole game is oriented around that goal. And and there's yeah. some, you know, yeah. And, and all of the play is given its meaning. It's like, oh, was that like a good or bad move? Well, how does that get you closer or further from, you know, your goal of uh of uh capturing the, the king? And so that's why that kind of um, ability for a binary goal to, um, to, to like imbue meaning on everything. Uh, I I don't know. So, so like, you know, high score systems, you know, I've sort of railed against them for years, um, because I feel so like, you know, coming from the roguelike tradition, uh, which typically they just have high scores as their outcome. And that was something I really wanted to avoid, um, for Oro and is because I felt like, you know, you just, you play this roguelike and you, you know, you're doing all the things of a strategy game. And then at the end, you just get some number. And it's like, I guess I could choose to interpret this number compared to the other numbers i've gotten in the past or compared to uh some other players numbers or like but it's like you have a lot of wiggle room in how you interpret that and and you know Mm -hmm. maybe there is i I can i understand there's also a value to that and that like it's not so harshly you win or you lose but you can actually like kind of maybe have a negotiation about like well you know i it was late at night and i you know I, i i did pretty good i guess um I don't know. Um, that's just, that's kind of like, I'm trying to like push myself out of the binary win-loss paradigm somewhat. And, but I have trouble because it feels like anything other than that win-loss paradigm it becomes this extremely smushy uh, interpretive. Uh, it becomes to me like more like a toy. It becomes to me right. more like you're playing with it.
1: I guess, I guess, I mean, I always go back and say like, given given because we're we're basically making things for humans right so um what is the value that the individual player gets out of that uh so sometimes that value is um performance against themselves sometimes that value is uh you know like i feel like i'm i i have control over my life and i'm i'm improving my skills mm. uh, sometimes that that va- sometimes that is like dominance over others like you see in a lot of competitive games mm-hmm. um especially especially with young men um you you not only young men but um especially with them sure. um you you see this sort of like I am better than this other person or I am higher status than this other person. Um, and, and in those cases, you want super, super clear, crisp feedback that no one can deny. Right. Cause people will use all sorts of rhetorical arguments to get around the fact that you're dominant in some way. Uh-huh. So there's this, there's this really desire, you know, that um, we need to make this uh, judgment of my awesomeness. As, as crisp and clear and perfect and non arguable as possible. We want a mathematical definition of me being awesome. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> I, I think, I think that happens a lot and then people want that such that they can feel good about themselves such that they can have self-worth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes I look at these things and I'm saying, is this really about self-worth? Is this really about social comparison. And sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Um, like all these like a lot of these things they're not there's not mathematical reasons why they are a certain way. there's usually right. psychological values for why they are this a certain way,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, that's funny, uh yeah that that's uh I mean, and that's i i do i I'm with you completely on that, and that's and that's why I'm kind of like, how do i i you know try to like step back out of this aesthetic as much as I can and try to find ways to apply the strategy game aesthetic and to, um, you know, I I just I'm putting out a game now that's like, it's basically single player chess, but like, it's just about grabbing resources and stuff. And uh, it's, it's, um, it's, It's actually kind of an experiment in what we're talking about a little bit in some ways, because it is a high score, a score based thing. Um, It doesn't have a binary goal. It does have extremely, um, I think, uh, like non-aggressive, non-serial killer uh, vibe to it. I I tried very hard to make it sort of inviting and nice feeling. And the theme is about having a party and eating chips and dancing with each other. And, um, you know, so so. It's a, I don't know, it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting challenge to try to find the, 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 I think that's, that's basically what I wanted to talk to you about today was like the, the, the difference, the distance between your project and, and my project. And because I, I'm, I think what you're doing is extremely valuable and I worry that what I'm doing is, uh, is it's not that it's not valuable, but it, that it may be very embedded in in these kinds of forces and and ideologies and uh, a place that is not you know not always helpful uh, and is not always uh, inviting or inclusive or um, and so you know I, I that's just that's kind of where I am in trying to figure out this process. I guess I guess I mean to a certain degree, like like. Being outside of
1: the sort of game world for a moment, like the game terminology, um, what sort of impact are you trying to make upon the world?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, that's 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 sort of to me, that's like the, the the top level question. And then and then then what are the what are the things that you're doing and what are what is what is the effect on not the game, but the people who are playing the game? Right. Um, and, and is that, is the effect that you're looking for supportable by the evidence you see when people play test it and try it out? And, uh, is it supported? Like I tend to go back to uh, a lot of like, you know, science if possible. Um, you know, like look, looking at like psychological studies and looking at how people process the world. Um, do when you build the thing to cause an an outcome does the theory support that that's how that's the causal relationship right Mm -hmm. between the the tool and the outcome i tend to approach things in that way so so i guess the, the question for you is sort of like you know what is the change you're trying to uh make in the world
0: and well and and actually uh even just asking that question in the first place i think a lot of um in my in my estimation and certainly i can say for myself that is not a question i asked myself you know five years ago um i did mm-hmm. not I, th- that was sort of a given because and and it was an unspoken given that of course the job of a game designer is to reproduce the experience that they had that they already enjoyed growing up um and uh it's not to make any kind of change in the world it was a very like um status quo position. I, I wasn't aware of it, but like, it was, you know, very much like I grew up and I had these experiences. I want to make things that basically just reproduce that. Um, but you know, like they're better in some, in some way maybe. Um, but, uh, or they're more modern at least, uh, but they're basically a reproduction of what I was given growing up. And so I think that, um, you know, it's, you know, people are going to have different answers to that question that you asked, like, what 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 change do you want to see in the world? And there and there are a lot of valid answers. But I think maybe in a really important starting place is just to ask that question in the first place.
1: I think so. I think so. Um, uh, because we have these all all these unspoken assumptions. One, one of the so I, I got started making games, I guess, about 25 years ago. Um, and one of the things that's been fascinating to see is um just we were just making stuff up like right like i wasn't even the the i was not necessarily part of the first wave to start making games um but when i got into it they were still like we had no idea what we were doing and we were just sort of making stuff up mm-hmm. and it's really fascinating to see just random I, things that we just Pooped out right because it was like we were 18 and we had no idea what we were doing and like let's do something uh oh this is how ui is going to work or this is how power-ups are going to work or this is how social guild systems are going to work and we just pooped something out Mm -hmm. we had a vague idea that it might work but we weren't sure And, and now or like a generation later and there's game designers that i'm talking to who just assume that this is like physical law Mm. and they don't even they it's it's entirely an assumption like they, they they've they never questioned it because it has always in their mind it has always been this way right for it should always be this way and it will always be this way and i look at them and i'm like what are you talking about that's like like that's arbitrary ability really, to reinvent to re- rethink that if you if you want
0: yeah so, so you're you're saying like yeah. you were literally there when they're like uh you know uh religious texts or whatever have, were being written and you're like no 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 i was there and we were just making shit up uh and you yeah know- so so,
1: th- so this happened recently uh so we're making steambirds which is the spiritual successor to realm of the mad god which is about seven years old and so at this point there is uh you know a lot of the people who started playing um uh uh, realm of the mad god were probably you know in their early teens when they started playing and they've been playing for the past seven years uh and they've put thousands of hours of time into it um like some of our decisions about this is the way loot works is like the word of god that's just the reality of the universe Mm. and for us it was a late night hack (laughs) right Um, And yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating to, fascinating to observe. So, so I, this, this sort of gets to this sort of like very, very simple thing, which is like list your assumptions Mm. um, and then, and then question them and see if that goes back to your original, like, you know, is is that actually making the change you want in the world?
0: That's yeah, that's great. I have two quick questions to ask you. um, And before we wrap up um, one is, um i have always been a really big fan of your writing uh you are probably the the, you are no i think you are the the person who got me into writing about game design in the first place and uh do what do you see as like do you still see value in writing about game design do you um and do you intend to like do more of that in the future um like what's your feelings about writing i do
1: yeah, I do see value. I mean, one of the things I so so that as as we're both aware, the the ecosystem for game writing has changed dramatically. Like blogs aren't as much of a thing. RSS has sort of gone away, um, so it's very different different space than when I I first started writing. Um, I personally write because I'm into theories such that I can make my practice better. I'm putting mm-hmm. things into words, making ideas crisp by describing them to others. I can go and then make them crisp in my own eye, my, my own head such that I can use them as like refined tools as opposed to just gut instinct. Right. So that process is incredibly useful and I still do that. Um, the places I do it are a little different these days. Um, so about once a year, I do a Project Horseshoe paper and uh it's it's you know we, we meet up it's a team effort everyone's like in the same space and then i do a lot of writing on it usually afterwards and so I, i'm at, i'm down to one large paper um a year at this point as opposed to lots of little blog posts and gotcha. those those that paper that paper is you know often a 20 to 30 page white paper so it's pretty pretty extensive um Uh, i also um do talks so talks are another way of doing that same process of sort of refining ideas Mm -hmm. um they're not as useful as writing in my opinion but that's just how i process the world and then um i also just do a lot of uh, game design documents for for the team now i've sort of moved from talking about games publicly to doing a lot of making games Mm -hmm. um i've always made games but now it's like you know spry fox is up to like 18 people and you know we've we've got a, we've got a lot of uh design writing that needs to happen so uh so a lot of my stuff is focused internally that's that's extraordinarily satisfying for whatever it's worth because like i get to see these systems built yeah um which which is kind of amazing yeah that um, is
0: really amazing uh, congratulations on everything. Uh seems like Spryfox is doing um better now than it has been since it started. Is that right? We keep
1: trundling along. I mean, I think the thing about Spryfox is we're um we're very responsive. Mm. So the market shifts and we shift with it. Um I feel like in the it's been like nine or ten years that Spryfox has been around. Um We've probably gone through one, two, three, four different market shifts at this mm-hmm. point. So there was like web games and then there was um, mobile games and there was Facebook games and there was Steam was dominant. And then people were kind of rushing into China. And uh, yeah, so there's, there's just been a ton of stuff that's happened over the over the years and uh the way we survived is we just we're responsive to it you know nice. we, we try yeah. to make make a make a lot make a lot of bets
0: yeah yeah no that's 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 cool um i loved alpha bear too also i thought it was um really just just uh kind of like the further development actually it sort of re um rekindled my or like not kindled uh, that's the wrong word it just sort of it gave me faith in the idea of sequels as a model for uh for games and uh you know cuz i had for a long time been like um uh, anti sequel for some reason but but uh, especially in games it's like an opportunity to continue polishing something that uh, and and working on an idea that uh you know i think games especially i think this is something that you and i have in common that like a good game is a 5 to 10 year project a lot of the time um and whether that's in one piece of software that you sell or like you iterate numerous times um i think uh yeah that's that's that and I, I really saw that happen with Alpha two um yeah. my Alpha
1: Bear se- two is is a mechanically better game than Alpha Bear one
0: I agree um so I had one last question which is um do you are you playing games these days like what do you what do you play like what was the last like two or three games that you played uh for fun not for research uh,
1: so I mean so for the most part I play my own games because uh you know they 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 just take up a certain amount of time play testing all the time sure um in terms of other people's games, I don't get a chance to play very many other people's games at all. Uh, mm. The one that's really, really stuck with me is uh, uh, Zelda, even though that's relatively old at this point. Breath of the uh, Wild? Breath of the Wild, yeah. Oh.
0: I, gotta, I, I, gotta, I, had, I, I gotta just say, I, I literally, before, I was like, just like, if I alt-tab over, I am working on an article about what I want to see in Breath of the Wild 2, or a sequel to Breath of the Wild, But because uh, I loved Breath of the Wild also. I thought it was like the best Zelda game maybe ever
1: it It did something that um, is very, very rare in in most video games. Um, it's a game about exploration, that great. The fighting, I kind of ignored all the fighting. I skipped it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the exploration in that game with the climbing system particularly is 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 quite magical. And mm-hmm. I can't think of another game that I've played that, had that same feeling of exploration. Mm. And for me, like I tend not to be motivated by the same things that most people are motivated by, uh-huh. so I tend to spike on exploration and then almost nothing else in terms mm-hmm. of my motivations. So for me, that was a game that spoke very, very directly to me.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, that's a that's a that's a good pick for sure. Uh, I I agree with you completely on the exploration thing. It reminded me the last time I had had that feeling from a game was probably Morrowind. I don't know if you ever played that one. Um, I did
1: not. Yes. yeah. See, I- I skipped all the elder scrolls i played them super super early on um but they were very very janky and i don't think they ran out very well on the computer i had
0: oh yeah D- daggerfall had a similar thing where i think daggerfall has like the largest uh, uh like you know uh land mass of any video game probably still to this day because so much of it was like procedurally generated and uh yeah daggerfall was also it was very janky but it also had that like massive, massive exploration kind of feeling. But Zelda has that, but also it's just incredibly polished in this like Nintendo kind of way um, that that makes everything feel, I guess, more real, like you're really um, you're not just exploring like, you know, some like uh, algorithmic uh, generation, but like some actual space yeah yeah they
1: they they really they really did a wonderful job i've also been playing uh, no man's sky and it doesn't do it as well uh um zelda has these very evocative sublime moments of natural beauty like Mm -hmm. where you're you're looking across the plains and they feel like plains that you could one day visit in a some perfect earth and the sun is setting and and there's a forest and it's this pastoral forest in the background um and it's just it just hits me you know right right in the heart when i see that yeah um and something something like no man's skies is is, is amazing and full of awe but it doesn't have that you know that resonance in mm-hmm. in quite the same way
0: Hmm. yeah interesting i've yet to play no man's sky but um that's 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 interesting um well thank you so much for uh for talking to me uh this has been cool any last things that you want to say any uh any i don't know like uh you're working on seeing birds right now oh you also mentioned you're doing snapchat games is that right
1: yeah we announced a snapchat game alpha bear hustle so uh yeah that that's uh that's another experimental platform um that one's really really interesting because it actually is closer to board games um in that snapchat is a super funky social network where basically everybody is close friends Mm mm-hmm a game on snapchat you're actually playing with close friends and that's something that uh for online gaming is sort of logistically almost impossible Mm. so um so that was a super super interesting project to work on so that's still that's still in soft launch at the moment so hopefully hopefully we'll get it out to the u.s audience at some point here
0: awesome well i'm looking forward to that uh thank you again dan for doing this
1: yeah all
0: right take care all right see ya I'm hoping that you enjoy that conversation as much as I enjoyed participating in it. Thank you again to Dan for um, doing this. Um, There's a bunch of links in the show notes to check out some of Dan's work. Please do so. Um, Anyways, what am I up to? I'm going to give you a quick update. Um, I have a new article coming soon. Uh, It's kind of a short one, but um, it's a little bit different for me. But uh, it's about Zelda, as I mentioned in the podcast um i am actually super like in the knee deep in the uh development of a new card game so i have a i have a card game that's totally done and i'm kind of just waiting on art for it but then i have this other card game which is kind of like my dream card game and uh it's sort of like you know a codex magic magic e kind of thing um and that's coming soon uh that's coming along really well i've been doing a lot of playtesting iterating 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 Um, I actually just graduated. Well, by the time you hear this, probably I will have just graduated. I actually graduate um, this weekend coming up. Um, So I will have a bachelor's in political science now. How about that? Um, And I do want to I think I might want to like maybe do a podcast episode about that or something, maybe an article about it, Um, because it was quite an experience going back to school. I'm, you know, I'm 36, almost 37 now, and it's sort of weird to go back to school at that age uh, particularly in a field that you're not um you know really from uh you know i originally went to school for music of all things then i had this long um entrenched um you know semi-academic experience uh in in game design uh writing textbooks and uh going to conventions and all that kind of stuff as well as making games of course and uh so yeah it was an interesting experience and i will i have a lot to say about that um and how it uh it has informed my uh my worldview um so that's that's something that i will be coming up um dino farm is still working on alakaram although it's going very slowly um and i did start the code base for i restarted the code base for Um omnakronom escape the Um omnakronom i'm gonna be making it real time now i'm basically starting over from scratch it's a major project i'm sort of scared to get really heads head first into it but probably starting next week i will start on that Um, chess mix is also basically done, but I am waiting on some PR stuff to, before I like formally launch that. And that's about what I'm working on. I also, um, at some point in the next like month or so, I'm going to look into starting maybe a third book, um, more on that soon. Uh, but probably the title of it will be something along the lines of responsible formalism in game design and something like this conversation um if that was interesting to you then i think this book will be of interest to you as well uh thank you for listening as always you can support this show by going to patreon.com slash I have, you know, I always um, am sharing like early demos, um, design docs. That new card game uh, that I have been working on was shared with my patrons. Um, Some academic, an academic paper that I wrote uh, was shared with them. All kinds of stuff. So there's reasons to do it, but you know, really, it's just like if you support this kind of work. uh, There's, I think, there's not that many people doing the kind of stuff that I'm doing with the writing. Game design theory, and I'm uh, trying to apply it. Um, I might be wrong about that because it's actually sort of hard to like, l- as as Dan was mentioning, the the um, the atmosphere is, is sort of difficult to uh, connect with uh, each other and find each other. But I think, uh, anyway, it, there's it's not a huge it's sort of a niche of a niche, and uh, so if. Uh, If you you value this stuff, it really makes a difference to support. Just throw me like a dollar or whatever um, you can sign up for. Um, But yeah, thank you so much for listening and I will see you next time.